Listen, uh, last week uh, we began a new series we're calling Summer in the Psalms, kind of a, a summer playlist, if you will. Last week we started with Psalm 1. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to do Psalm 2 today, Psalm 3 next week. Psalm, I mean, we'd be here for three years, right? There's 150 of them. Uh, but we're going to be actually in Psalm 19 today. Uh, but if you were here last week, we talked about the psalmist laid out for us in Psalm number one, two ways, two paths, two roadways in life. There's the, there's the way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. That's the only two paths in life. And every single person is on one of those two paths. And both of those paths lead to a final destination. And those final destinations are only two as well. There's either heaven or hell. Well, today we're going to be in Psalm 19. It's attributed to David, who wrote about half of the Psalms. And in this Psalm, we're going to see how God reveals himself in two separate manners. Okay, so last week we talked about two paths. Today we're going to talk about two revelations. Uh, there's revelation through nature, and there's revelation through Scripture. That's what this psalm is going to talk about today. Or you could say there's revelation through his world and revelation through his word. Did you know that God speaks? He still speaks. And he speaks in a variety of ways. In this psalm, we're going to see how he speaks through nature. We're going to see how he speaks through scripture. But it's really cool to think that we serve a God who communicates to his people. God has revealed himself to you and me. Now let's read about it. We're going to read the, the whole psalm together, beginning with verse 1, Psalm 19. It's going to be on the screen. It reads this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Robin. <laughs> Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of my transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Lord, this is our prayer. 
what we just read here today, that our actions, our motives, our mouths, our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, today we pray your continued power and presence and provision and protection for our team that's there in El Salvador. We pray for divine appointments to come their way. We pray for not only healings within the team, but would you do it there in the communities they are ministering to as well. May many men, women, boys and girls come to salvation as a result of the ministry of our team there. Lord, we just also ask for the comfort of the Holy Spirit to come to those who have recently lost a loved one. I pray for Joanne Gardner, my friend who said goodbye to Kevin today after a long battle in the hospital for months and months and months. Or I think of Joe Keller who woke up to his daughter that had passed. We pray for your comfort to surround him too. Lord, I thank you that you are a very present help in time of need. Lord, I thank you that they are now in the ultimate presence of Jesus Christ. They are in your arms today, and that gives us assurance. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis said of this psalm, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It speaks of the beauty in God's creation, and it speaks of the beauty of God's word. And listen, church, both should elicit some sort of a response from us. Amen. The beauty of his creation should cause us to respond in worship. Yes. That's why we just sang that song, How Great Is Our God. It's just overwhelming. He's amazing. And then when we look at the beauty that we find in the scripture, it should also cause us to respond through obedience. Let's look again at the first verse of this psalm, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. What's he saying there? When we behold the glory of the heavens... He's talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, the wonder in the expanse of the stars above. It shouts to us the glory of God. Did you realize that the skies are talking to us? The skies are shouting to us. The blue skies during the day, the starry skies at night, they are all shouting and declaring the greatness and the glory of our God. In fact, I'd say that their very existence reveals his creativity, his skill, his masterfulness. Our universe, listen, it is so expansive, it is so massive that our little minds just don't have the capacity to, to comprehend it all. Let's talk just for a minute about the Milky Way galaxy. Right? Nobody likes the Milky Way candy bar, but let's talk about the... <laughs> Milky Way galaxy. Now listen, the, the galaxy that we are in right now is called the Milky Way. Most of you probably knew that. And it is made up of billions of stars. Now, one of those billions of stars is our sun. And like our sun, most of the billions of stars have planets and things that are orbiting around them. 
Now, our Earth happens to be one of the planets orbiting around one of the stars, our sun, and it's about 93 miles away, right? Our sun is 93 miles, 93 million miles away. That's just down the road, I think, in central Virginia. <laughs> hey, listen, y'all don't know, it's a miracle that I'm standing on this stage this morning. Uh, the sun happens to be 93 million miles away from our earth today. And if our one little solar system happened to be the size of a quarter, the Milky Way galaxy would be the size of the continental United States. Now, the Milky Way is 100,000 light years from edge to edge. You can kind of see the picture there behind me. Uh, it would take you 100,000 years if you were traveling at the speed of light to get from one end to the other. Speed of light's pretty fast, right? Speed of light uh, to get from the moon to the earth or vice versa is about one second. A speed of light to get light from the sun to our earth, which is 93 million miles away, takes about eight minutes. Okay, so to get from one end to the Milky Way to the other end would take 100,000 years if you could somehow travel in a rocket that goes at the speed of light. Now, there are some galaxies, they say, that are 1.5 million light years from edge to edge. Now, think of this. Our universe, this universe that we believe God created, is made up of billions of galaxies. Not billions of stars, billions of galaxies, each contained within them billions of stars. Now, the closest galaxy to the Milky Way, anybody know what one that is? Very good. The closest, uh, the closest galaxy to our Milky Way galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy. Anyone want to take a guess how far that nearest galaxy is from us? Two million light years just to get to the nearest galaxy. That, that is just, th th those, my, th those, th those stats, those numbers stagger the mind. I mean, it's impossible to wrap our minds around the vastness of God's great universe. Now, remember, this psalm that we just read was written by David. David would have spent a lot of time out under the stars. He was a shepherd boy. He grew up tending for the, the flock and, and caring for the sheep. So he had a, a lot of time on his hands as he was caring for the sheep to, to ponder and look in the blue sky in the day and the starry sky at night. He had a lot of time to ponder the greatness and the vastness of God. In fact, in Psalm 8, he also talked about this incredible world, this incredible majestic heavens. He said this in verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Now listen, I, this probably isn't you, but there's a lot of people that get wrapped up in what a big deal they are. I'm really, really important, right? I'm, I'm a big deal in life. David understood 
that in comparison to this incredible universe, he was very small, very minuscule. And that's true. But listen, even though we are very small, we are very minuscule. We are God's special creation. And he cares for you. He cares for you. David just could not wrap his mind around it. What am I? Who am I that you would care for me? You would know my name. You know my, how many hairs are on my head. You care for me. You feel my pain. And as awe-inspiring as it is to think of the massiveness, the immensity of God's creation, it's even more awe-inspiring to think that this God cares for you, cares for us. God has this massive universe to take care of. Yet his priority is you. His priority is you. Verse one again from Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I like to say this, that design points to a designer. Creation implies that there is a creator, right? You cannot simply create something out of nothing. So when my friend Matthew, who's running the video switcher today, a few months ago, he showed me his sweet brand new Ford F-150 pickup truck. It is a sharp pickup truck, I have to admit. Now, when he showed me that truck, I didn't say, wow, Matthew, that is amazing. Can you believe that it just percolated out of the asphalt? Can you believe that it just appeared out of nowhere spontaneously? No, I was amazed by the design of it all. The thoughtfulness that went into that truck. The impressiveness of this new vehicle. Listen, design speaks to a designer. And when we look at the heavens, when we look at the stars and the moon and, and, the, and the stars and the skies and everything, the sun, and how much more glorious is the artist who created it, right? Glorious art speaks of a glorious artist. The heavens declare the glory of our God. Verse 2, David goes on. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. It's ongoing, David says. We can observe movements and patterns and rotations within our solar system every day, every week, every month, every year. It just keeps going and going and going. And to think that it all just happened after one fantastical accident, a spontaneous event that happened out of nowhere. No, of course not. Of course not. The more we learn about this incredible universe, the more we are convinced of its incredible designer behind it all. Anyone have, we've got a smart bunch here today. Anyone happen to know the, the temperature of the surface of the sun? It is hot, super duper hot. Good job, class. 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now remember, we are 93 million miles away from the sun. That is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That just can't be an accident. That just can't be coincidence. If we were a little further away, 
like Mars or a little closer to the sun like Venus, we would either freeze to death, cease to exist because it's too frigid, or we would, we, we would burn up because we would be too close. The atmosphere and the elements for life would not exist. But get this, it just so happens that our little sphere here called Earth is in the right place, the right distance from the sun. And it just so happens that it rotates 365 times as it makes its yearly journey around the sun. 365. Have you ever wondered, why is it 365 times? Why didn't God make it, let's say, uh, 30 times? Maybe we just kind of rotate on our axis 30 times. Well, if it rotated 30 times on its axis, the days and nights would be 10 times longer. So the sun would be out for 120 hours at a time. That's about five days. And and then the same at night. Night would last 120 hours. Night would be five days long. That would be very difficult for, for plants and trees and flowers to grow. Think of the deep freezes at night or the hot, hot days with no relief for hours and hours and days. Life as we know it could not be sustained. And get this, it just so happens that our earth is tilted on its axis at a 23 and a third degree angle, giving us four beautiful seasons. Without this tilt, we'd experience no seasons at all. Every day would be identical. It would be 12 hour days every day. It would also affect the North and South Poles. It would affect the ocean levels as well. Speaking of oceans, did you know that our land-to-ocean ratio is just perfect at 71%? It's perfectly balanced. If the ocean, let's say, were half that size, the earth would only have one-fourth of the annual rainfall we now experience. Imagine what life would look like, the, the, the forests and all of that that would happen. If the oceans were just one-eighth larger, let's say, Then earth would experience four times the amount of rain. We would be in a perpetual flood zone all the time. Our planet is perfectly fine-tuned by a perfect creator. So listen, tonight, before you go into bed, would you just take one more step on your front porch or your back deck and just look up to heaven and be in awe Be in amazement and just listen to the stars as they shout the greatness, as they declare the glory of our God. Listen, you can't explain in good faith all this incredible design, all this incredible detail. You can't explain it away as mere coincidence. It's just happenstance. No, not at all. This is unmatched. This is unparalleled. This is divine design. Listen, I believe it takes more faith to believe in coincidence than it does to believe in a loving heavenly father who created it all. But some people, they would choose, they would rather to ignore all that evidence because if it is true that there's a divine designer, that means I would have to follow him. And I don't want to do that. I'd rather live for myself, some might say rather than live for the creator. But for David, he loved God and he loved God's creation. But he didn't stop there. He also loved God and God's word. 
in verse seven, after looking upward to the skies, he looks downward at the scripture. Yes, the universe speaks, but it doesn't tell the whole story. There are some things that the universe cannot tell us. The universe cannot tell us of his love, of his compassion. The universe can't tell us of his grace and his mercy. The universe doesn't tell us the plan of salvation. For that, we need to look to the scripture. Because in the scripture, now we have received a special revelation straight from the heart of God. And we learn more specifics about this God of creation. Let's look again at verses seven through nine. It'll be on the screen. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteousness. So God's word and all the instructions and guidelines and commands within it are flawless and perfect. That's what David is saying here. And they provide for us an effective guide for living. That is both a benefit to us and helps us know that we are pleasing to our creator. Living by God's standard isn't some burdensome task that's meant to be oppressive or stressful. It's a privilege and a joy. And he's given us his word. He's given it to us. And following his word will help us fulfill the will and purpose that God has for each of our lives. I kind of liken scripture to a mirror, right? When when I look into the scripture, it reveals what's really going on back at me. Maybe you've heard it said that sometimes when I read the scripture, it's like the scripture is reading me. Well, on this passage here, I intentionally highlighted some of the things to show us kind of a a really cool thing that uh, David did, uh, kind of a a poetic pattern here. In these three verses, we find six lines or six stanzas. Each line uh, has three parts. The first part is the title for God's truth or his word or the scripture. Uh, Second, there's the attribute of that truth. And then thirdly, there's the result or the benefit. So you see here on the left... Uh, we have the the six descriptions of God's law, of his scripture. Uh, David described it as the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. And then the attributes he attached to it. So the law is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, enduring, I'm sorry, pure, and firm. And then at the end of the phrase, he gives us the benefit of the word of God, the results. And these are very good outcomes for us. The first outcome that you see there on the right, it is refreshing to the soul. The scripture refreshes the soul and points us back to God. It realigns our life with God's purposes for our lives. Listen, we go to a doctor for the needs of our body, don't we? We go to a counselor for the needs of our mind. Well, we go to the scripture for the needs of our soul. The word refreshes the soul. Ephesians 5.26 tells us that we are washed through the water of the word of God. It refreshes our soul. Now, the second outcome that we find here on line number two is that it makes wise the simple. 
The statutes, they are trustworthy, they're reliable, and it makes wise the simple. You know, there's a lot of people that would have what some would call a simple education, a simple upbringing. You know, they're, they're kind of simple-minded. They don't have all the degrees and that, but yet they have somehow tremendous wisdom. That's because they have learned of the wisdom that comes through the word of God. They have studied the scripture. They've trusted in it, and it brings godliness and life and wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. In comparison, right? Uh, the, the wisest person here on the earth is just a fool compared to God's greatness. But there's a difference, right, between the education of the world and the education of the word. A classroom might give you a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't provide a lot of wisdom. We find that in God's word. The word makes wise even the simple. The third result, the precepts of the Lord, they are right, and the result is that it gives joy to the heart. The word of God, David says, should bring joy to our heart. Now, those of us that have, bring, that have been reading the word for quite some time, sometimes we read the scripture and uh, we read that particular verse, and initially there's not a whole lot of joy. In fact, there's a little bit of pain. Oh, ouch. Oh, my. It's like I read that verse and God just kind of slapped me upside the head and said, hey boy, straighten up. I didn't find a lot of joy in that, at least initially. But as we allow the word to saturate us, as we allow it to conform us, we allow the word to shape us and mold us and change us, the eventual result will be joy and it will delight our heart. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and they were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. The fourth benefit we find from the word of God is that it gives light to the eyes, giving light to the eyes. In other words, the word of God clarifies our vision. Other translations uh, say that the word gives insight to life. Did you know that this word provides light and insight to every part of our lives? You know, I kind of think of uh, right before the sun comes up and it's dark, it's hard to navigate outside, it's hard to find your way. But as soon as that sun pops over the horizon, it's like, oh man, there it is. I can now see my way. I can find my path. I can now navigate through life. The Bible throws light onto life. It's amazing how much light the Bible throws on politics and culture. It's amazing how much light that the scripture can throw on dating and relationships and marriage. You know, the, the Bible, there's a lot of light that the Bible throws on priorities and, and, and finances and decisions and all of life. It gives insight to every area of our life. I just encourage you to let the word of God shine a spotlight on whatever situation you're walking through. 
It will give you insight for life. Then number six, the final benefit is that all of them are righteous. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. I forgot number five. Thank you, class. The fifth benefit, I'm getting ahead of myself. It endures forever. Isaiah 40 verse eight says, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. There's something comforting, there's something stabilizing about the fact that God's word never changes. His word never shifts. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. Not much of the word, they have little or no regard for God's word. For centuries, people, people have been trying to manipulate the scripture to fit their agenda, change its meaning, change what it stands for. Some people expect the Bible to adjust to culture. But listen, these truths are everlasting and eternal. God is not going to change his mind based on man's whims and changing morals and standards and values. Listen, some people are so open-minded that their mind just falls right out, right? <laughs> God's word does not adjust to culture. And it would be better if culture would adjust to God's word. Because the word of God lasts forever. And then the final benefit is that they are righteous. It is firm. The decrees of the Lord are firm. And all of them are right and righteous. They are fair. David goes on to explain this further in verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So he's saying here that God's word provides for us warnings and reminders about what God expects from us. It's like when he provided the scripture for us, he gave us the answer key in advance. He said, you're going to have a lot of tests and trials in life, but I've already given you the answer key in my word. Here's exactly what I expect from you. And if you will do that, if you will honor my word, guess what the result is going to be? Great reward. That is really cool. So now, how is David going to respond to all of this? God has spoken to him through nature. He's now spoken to him through his word. And I'm sure he understands that his response needs to be in proportion to the greatness and the majesty of God. He understands all that is at stake. And he understands that he's not perfect. There's probably some hidden faults and unintentional sins in there somewhere. Anybody else been there? I know I have. I thought I was doing right. I'm checking all the right boxes. But then the Holy Spirit reveals something. Man, I didn't see that. Where'd that come from? Why did it take me till I was in my 40s to realize that that was something I needed to be working on? He goes on in verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. There's some stuff that's there that I just can't see. Keep your servant also from willful sins. 
Okay? I, don't, I don't want to be caught in willful sins or unintentional sins, neither of them. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So get this. David looks up to the sky and he says, wow. He looks down at the scripture and he says, amazing. Then he looks deep within his own soul and he says, yuck. I need help, Lord. See, the revelation of the glory of God allows us to see ourselves the way we really are. Yeah, see, God's glory and greatness reveal my need for his grace. Can you let the weight of that statement settle in for a moment? In light of God's glory and majesty and greatness and massiveness, When I think about that, it ends up revealing to me my need for his grace in my life. As I realize the glory of God in the skies, as I realize the greatness of God in the scripture, I now see the need for God's grace in my soul. David was praying that God would help him get out of his own way. Lord, I don't want to trip up. I don't, I don't want to trip up on my own. Well, I, I need to make sure that I'm not getting in my own way. Make sure that there's not sin that I'm not seeing that's in the way. John Bunyan in his famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, says that this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Psalm 119 says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then David concludes this psalm with one of the most famous prayers that we find in all of scripture. Verse 14, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Now, this prayer right here, this is one of the most important prayers that anyone can pray. That God would keep our hearts and our lives pleasing to him and free from sin. That what we would speak, the words of my mouth, and what we think, the meditation of my heart, both of those would be pleasing to the Lord. See, in light of your majesty, God, in light of your, uh, your magnificent and splendor, I want my words, but not just my words, even my thoughts to be pleasing to you. I want to be in complete agreement and in alignment with you. I want to be in lockstep with you, my God, my rock, my redeemer. Now listen, this is the right and proper response for a God that has revealed himself in nature and in scripture. And this revelation, this twofold revelation that God gives us, it demands a response from us. Because you've revealed yourself in creation, God, my response is worship, complete devotion to you. And because you've revealed yourself through your word, my other response is complete obedience. I will trust in you no matter what. Amen, everybody. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes as we conclude today.
What an amazing God. What an amazing God. That he's revealed himself to all of us. The heavens, the the skies are, are shouting the greatness and the glory of God. And we gain just a a glimpse of his greatness. And listen, it is on display for all to see. That means that we are without excuse. Romans talks about that. We didn't have time to go into that today. But all of humanity are without excuse simply because of this incredible creation God has made. Now, on top of that, he's given us his word. And maybe this is the very first time you've come into a service like this. The very first time you have heard his word presented. So now you have seen God in creation. And now you are seeing him through his word. Through the scripture. And it again leaves us without excuse. Every single one of us here today. Whether you're in person or watching online. Are without excuse excuse. He's revealed himself in a number of ways. But listen, he's also given us the opportunity to know him. He's given us the opportunity to come into right relationship with him and to accept him as Lord and Savior. And this same God who created this incredible universe cares for you and made a way for you to have everlasting life. And so if you are here in this place and you'd like to make this God, the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God of scripture, if you'd like to make him the Lord of your life, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. So here's what we're gonna do. Everybody together, we're gonna say a prayer out loud and this prayer is initiating a relationship with the heavenly father. Now listen, this prayer doesn't necessarily mean that you are saved. It's just initiating. It's recognizing I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. Jesus said in the New Testament, he is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to salvation. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's not meant to be mean. In fact, it's very loving. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus so loved the world that he laid down his life for you. And all you need to do is accept this free gift of salvation and then walk with him. Let him be the Lord of your life, just like he's the Lord of many of us, hundreds of us in this room, just like he is for David who wrote this psalm. He wants to be the Lord of your life too. So let's do this, everybody together, out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I need a savior. I need rescue.